Come on, sunshine, won't you poke your head through? Those clouds overhead don't mean nothing to me or you. Sunshine, sunshine, come warm me up because I'm cold as fuck. Come on, sun, won't you come on out? I would love to hang out with you. thousand trail miles one year this podcast follows sammy potter and jackson perrell on their attempt of the calendar year triple crown of hiking i'm zoe gates and this is impossible odds by mid-february the snow on the appalachian trail had become too deep to hit their mileage goals so with half of that trail under their belts Sammy and Jackson headed west for the milder conditions of the Continental Divide Trail. So already within the first like five miles, the CDT feels so rugged. I'm carrying, I'm carrying 12 pounds of water right now. 12 pounds, um, so six liters. I assumed that my bag would end up being lighter on the CDT because you know I switched out my like big warm sleeping bag for a lighter one and some other adjustments like that but right now this this has to be at least like 40 pounds um geez i'm just not used to this pack weight right now hopefully i'll get used to it and also we've like lost the trail probably probably five times already within the first like a little bit um there's just not that many markers and um, yeah this one's definitely a lot more rugged So technically I am on the trail, but I can see no trail and there's no evidence of any trail. And that's just how it works on parts of the Continental Divide Trail. You can not see where you are at all. Um, We're just in like open plains and I'm just following my map because there is no markings anywhere (laughs) or evidence of a beaten path. But I'm on trail. Um, it's taken us about an hour and a half to go one and a half miles. So that's like a mile an hour. And it's like 8 a.m. now, and the river is so cold. We've crossed it like 15 times already. And my feet are just so cold and wet. I really don't like this. We have another 48 miles to go on this river. I've been thinking all day that desert doesn't seem like a place that's meant for human habitation. And holy crap, I'm coming up on a a dead uh, cow right now. Oh my God. Oh, it smells terrible. Oh my God, it's so hard to look at. The desert is no joke. God, thank God I've still got a few liters of water left before we get to the next cache. Unlike on the Appalachian Trail, the desert sections of the CDT aren't flush with natural water sources. Instead, hikers rely on caches, cattle troughs, and even tractor tires that have been repurposed into algae-filled water tanks. 
This is the sketchiest water source. I feel like the fish living in it is pretty sketchy. <laughs> <laughs> what are you talking about, Doug? You know what? If fish live there, it must be a great spot. I feel like the one yesterday was a little sketchy. Honestly, I think that was a little less sketchy than this. You think so? Yeah. Why? Just because it's so rusty? Rusty, goldfish. Fishy. Fishy. <laughs> that it's random way half bus over yeah. there. <laughs> way, way murkier. Yeah, do that. Yeah. <laughs> Very uh, into the wild type yeah. type vibe. <laughs> oh, wonder which one of us will get Giardia first. Maybe we'll get it together. together. <laughs> <laughs> <Aww>. <laughs> <laughs> I'm feeling so fucking beaten down right now. Spent two months on the AT just. Freezing cold, couldn't catch a break with conditions, and oh, I, I know I'm complaining a lot, which isn't good, but uh, it's supposed to be like 10 degrees tonight, and I uh, haven't had service in a while, so haven't been able to like, text my family and friends, let them know I'm all right. Oh, it just feels like so isolated and lonely. <laughs> For lack of a better way to put it, um, I want to like lean into the remoteness of it, but damn, it's just fucking cold, and I just have moments like this where it's like, what am I doing? <laughs> so last night we had quite the ordeal coming into Silver City. We were running pretty late. It was like maybe 8.45, 9, 9.30. It was very dark. Uh, Jackson's about maybe 200 yards ahead of me. But all of a sudden, I just see his headlamp stop moving very abruptly. I get a little bit closer to him, and he turns around, says pretty calmly, but definitely with urgency, bear. We've been in New Mexico for quite some time here, and we haven't really run into any bears. The prospect of getting attacked by a bear at night is a hundred times scarier to me than getting attacked during the day. I catch up to Jackson. Um, we start making a lot of noise, banging our poles, you know, stomping on the ground, all the things you're supposed to do. And I'm looking at these eyes, see right next to it, there's a second pair of eyes right there two bears now I'm really sketched out I could feel uh, my heart racing adrenaline sort of begins to kick in and that's when Jackson points out to me a third pair of eyes and then I see a fourth pair of eyes then all of a sudden we go from a very calm night of listening to Jack Johnson and Taylor Swift to the final scene of The Grey, starring Liam Neeson. So we're making a lot of noise. We are doing our best to stay calm, um, backing away somewhat, and uh, it feels to us like they are approaching and getting like a little bit closer. And as we've been standing there, my eyes have slowly started to adjust. I can kind of see the outline of it better. 
And it's at that precise moment that Jackson turns to me and goes, that's a fucking cow. And uh, I just repeat it back to him. Yeah. Yeah, man, that's a cow. We began to see the albums of all the other quote-unquote bears. So uh, we felt pretty stupid. And uh, I'm not going to lie, I hesitated to even record this because misconception of wildlife is pretty embarrassing. And I know probably some folks listening are reconsidering whether they should listen to this. They're like, oh, what an idiot. But frankly, that was pretty scary. While I will not hesitate to laugh at myself and look back on this with uh, sort of a (laughs) comical amusement, uh, the stakes that surrounded this situation, I think, were very real. After just three weeks in New Mexico, it's time to transfer over from the Continental Divide Trail to the Pacific Crest Trail in order to hit their permit start date. Woke up today, first day on the PCT, and one inch of snow had fallen overnight. <laughs> it melted like within a couple hours uh, from the sun, but it just felt like kind of a bad omen. That's literally our first day here. We get snow. <laughs> so let's hope that's not a trend. So on the PCT, different than the Continental Divide Trail and the Appalachian Trail, we are initially going to go southbound from Kennedy Meadows, about 700 miles into the trail, down to the Mexican border. Our reason for doing this is because when the uh, permits for the Pacific Crest Trail came out earlier this year, um, we had hoped that we could through the entire Appalachian Trail prior to switching trails, and we applied for a much different permit than the one that we would need given that we needed to stop the Appalachian Trail halfway through due to snow. Um, So at that point, it was really difficult to get a northbound permit um, going from the border north. So we had we had to decide to split the trail in two. And that was very easy to get a southbound permit from Kennedy Meadows. Kennedy Meadows sits just at the base, the southern base of the Sierra Nevadas. Um, which means we won't be going through the Sierra Nevadas on this stint. Uh, We'll be going on a later stint um, when we come back to the PCT. And uh, since we're going south, the hope is that the weather gets better throughout. And uh, it's also very desertous. Um, There are some mountains and there is some elevation, contrary to most conceptions of the desert. But uh, going south, baby, we are hoping that we... uh, we're literally running away from winter instead of running right towards it like we've been doing. It's about 4.15 p.m. We're going up to the summit of this relatively small mountain. It's only like 8,000 feet. But uh, we are walking right into the storm. Like, looks like the center of this snowstorm is right at the top of this mountain. And uh, we gotta go up to go down. So. Hopefully, buckle in for a couple hours and, you know, we'll get over the top before sunset. We crested that mountain and the storm finally caught up to us. And, yeah, it's windy, it's cold, it's snowy, my water froze again. And we are in Southern California. 
it just reminded me so much of being on the AT and you know it's fun but when are we gonna be done with winter we'll be right back not all shoes are created equal believe me having a bad or unsupportive shoe makes a big difference so when you're heading outdoors skip the sneaker and step into the Merrill Moab Moab's a sick place and uh, these are six shoes from crossing trail to crossing town and everywhere in between you get more traction, more stability, and more comfort. So next time you take a hike, get more out of every single step. Join us outside at Merrill.com. Little mileage update um, for you, because at the end of the day, that's what's going to determine whether we finish this trek or not. So I've been keeping really diligent uh, tallies of how many miles we're doing, whether we're hitting targets or not, and uh, what we need to average. And um, as of day 84, we have completed 1,123 miles on the Appalachian Trail from Springer Mountain uh, in Georgia, all the way up to Boiling Springs, Pennsylvania. Lead High Road, that's where we left off there. We have completed 403 miles on the Continental Divide Trail, all the way from the border up to uh, Grants, New Mexico. and. We have additionally completed 420 miles of the PCT. So from Kennedy Meadows down to where we're camping tonight on the PCT. Um, so yeah, we are on pace at the moment, uh, on the pace of 23.18 miles per day, um, including off days and including travel days. Um, so obviously not at the 30 miles a day pace that we had intended to do at the start of this entire trek, but um, I think we were hit with reality pretty quickly that winter, and specifically the Appalachian Trail, was not going to allow us uh, 30 miles a day. Um, so we're keeping our spirits up. We're feeling good uh, for the most part. <laughs> um, you know, as, as far as things go, generally feeling, feeling super lucky, super grateful to be out here, still fighting, um, still doing our best. And, you know, 23 miles a day is, is nothing to scoff at. We're pretty proud of it. But, uh, you know, we're also faced with the reality that we're going to have to ratchet up uh, pretty soon. And uh, the PCT Southern California section is a pretty good opportunity to do that because it's relatively flat. We are approaching San Jacinto which is the largest mountain in the Southern California section of the Pacific Crest Trail uh, in a couple of days. And pretty nervous about it, to be honest. It's about 10,000 feet of elevation over like 25 miles. And we're about three days out from it. It's the first day that we've met a couple northbounders who have successfully actually passed through it. All the other northbounders who we had running to up to this point had hitched around it and you know because of our parameters we're just not okay with hitching around it and also I've been looking at this mountain for like months and months and really looking forward to to summiting it um but I don't want to do so at the cost of danger we're just gonna have to use our best judgment not worry too too much about timelines just worry about what's directly in front of us Eventually, it's time for Sammy and Jackson to begin their ascent of San Jacinto. Despite some questionable conditions, they decide to go for it, knowing they can bail if things feel uncomfortable. We got a bit of a late start. 
um, because we're staying with our friend Ryan uh, in Palm Desert near the trail. Um, he picked us up and then brought us back the next day. We got about two-thirds of the way up the mountain, or about 16 miles or so, and we had about 10 miles to go to the summit. We camped around 7,000 feet. Next day, woke up, immediately hit snow. We were post-holing for a good section of that, so that was super fatiguing, and also mentally fatiguing because it was slippery and there were some exposed faces there. We started feeling a bit of the altitude, so we, we summited, which was very exciting. The view on the top was just spectacular, um, and it was kind of crazy, like, sitting there in shorts because it was pretty warm out in, like, three feet of snow. We started to make our way down the sketchy section of, um, of this descent down San Jacinto. Um, is basically a 10 mile stretch going southbound, which is the direction we're going. Um, it starts with a rock slide, and then you hit these really exposed cliffs called Apache Peak. When there is snow, really any amount of snow, um, it's, it's at super high risk of being very slippery. There's a couple thousand foot uh, drop off from these ledges. Recommended to have micro spikes and an ice axe. What happens? With the warming that we've had recently, is early in the day, it will be very crusty. Um, so pretty good for micro spikes, you can get decent purchase. But as the day goes on, the ice underneath the snow sticks around and is very slippery, but the snow itself gets pretty slushy. So you can't trust where you're stepping um, really at all because your feet are gonna go right through the snow and get to the ice. So if you do slip, that's where an ice axe comes in handy. Um, we did not have ice axes with us, which in my head I am now punching myself for. Apache Peak is where a kid named Trevor unfortunately passed away last year. You know, one moment he's just hiking and the next moment he, you know, falls hundreds and hundreds of feet and, you know, was literally within two days of the one year anniversary of his passing that we would, would have gone through it. Um, we ran into I think five people who went through it. Um, two of them had ice axes, three of them did not. We then ran into two more folks who, who did go through it with an ice axe, and you know, they were actually pretty encouraging uh, that it wasn't too, too bad. And, um, and Jax kind of switched his mind a little bit and wanted to kind of go with the other plan of like, okay, let's go until it seems sketchy. And then if it does seem too sketchy, you know, we'll be comfortable turning around. And I think what really worried me about that plan was, you know, there's multiple places along that 10 mile stretch that are sketchy. That's just not a place I wanted to risk it. Got another 5,000 miles to hike this year, more than 5,000. And uh, one small step can not only ruin that, but ruin, you know, our life. It didn't seem worth it to me, especially when we can come back when there's no snow and do that section and it'll be, you know, the heights will be the same, but it won't be slippery. So, yeah, I kind of made the decision that we wouldn't go, um, but to be frank, that didn't feel very good to me. Like, I don't like being the one to choose to not do something, I guess. Um, it was kind of a blast on my on my ego, um, and yeah, honestly, my pride has 
somewhat been hurting a little bit since then. Uh, so we skipped about 24 miles, basically one day's worth of, of hiking. And so we will have to come back and do that at a point, which I am not yet sure. We will cross that bridge later on. I know this will be on my mind until we do it. But now we got about 120 left to the border. We're gonna finish that in four and a half days and then get back to the AT on April 7th after day off. Yeah. As Sammy and Jackson approach the southern terminus of the PCT, Sammy begins to encounter the pair's first real medical problem of the trip. One of the things that we need to plan out very meticulously is when we get new shoes. Started hurting and getting these like, I think it's bruises. There's been just so much pressure on them. I think that is just absolutely brutally painful. It's really nobody's fault but my own. I should have planned this out way so. I want to do it like every 500 or so, 500 miles or so. But I did a shitty job planning uh, when I would get my next pair of shoes. And we're going on like 700 miles now, I think, with the same pair. And okay, around like the 500-mile mark, I really felt them breaking down. The soles like pretty much completely lacked support. Uh, just getting holes everywhere. Uh, I mean, they're great shoes, but you know, they don't, any shoe only lasts so long. Um, I'm just a little worried about getting like an infection or something on my on my feet. So we've only got about like 10 days left to the border. I'm slowing us down right now because um, I I can't walk more than like two miles an hour with this, even after taking ibuprofen. So I think we'll still get there in 10 days. Um, may have to see a doctor though. I, I hope it's, Jesus, an infection would be terrible. Three days out from the border, feet are just getting worse. And the thing is, it gets worse throughout the day. It starts off fine in the morning if I wash my feet the night before, but throughout the day, they get worse and worse. Um, we were taking three days off, um, in between getting to the Mexican border on the PCT and heading back over to the AT, linking up at Boiling Springs, where we left off before. Um, so I'm actually really looking forward to that. It's kind of my saving grace right now. So we made it to the border. We made it to the border. And uh, my first thought was, thank God I can finally see a doctor. <laughs> it's kind of funny that we had this like, you know, sort of momentous moment and literally my only thought was about getting medical attention for my feet. Um, anyways, uh, getting to the border was, was really interesting. Um, you can see the border wall from like 10 or 15 miles away. It's this super ominous looking structure, um, at least where the, uh, where the PCT finishes. We didn't really run into too many border patrol. I think we ran into like one or two. Um, but, you know, it's, it's interesting because there's this big black wall. I think it's kind of an inevitable thought that you have when you're there of like, 
this border is just a wall. Like, that's all it is. You know, you like look on the other side of it and you know, it's like a fun PCT tradition to put your pole on the other side of it. And man, like, it's the exact same on the other side. It's grass, it's farmland, it's, uh, it's Mexico, but it's no different than 10 feet on the other side where you're standing on the PCT. So arbitrary, it really is. So here's where we're at with uh, these feet issues. I went to see my dad's friend. So he took a look at my feet, thought they were all right. Didn't have a staph infection, he was sure of that, which uh, that was like a weight off my chest. He sent the photos that he took to his friend who is a podiatrist. Um, and the next morning, I received this text from the foot doctor. He's obviously an experienced hiker, and in retrospect knows he should have gotten those new uh, boots and changes of socks. He has maceration of the plantar toe web spaces. He absolutely needs to take 10 days off for his feet to recover, mostly bare feet with minimal walking. If he goes back out on the northern Appalachians before they're healed, it will recur rapidly, and it will be cold and wet there into June. Yikes. Oh, boy. Um, so he's recommending that I take 10 days off. Oh, boy. Um, and I also got a text from my uh, parents being like, I hope you will take this medical advice. <laughs> it will get worse. Don't be an idiot. Ten days, though. Whew. It's kind of risk management in a way, right? Because obviously the less risky thing to do is to take some time off and let my feet heal. Um, but, uh, you know, it's very tempting to just kind of ignore that order and uh, go with it and see how we're doing um, in like a week or so. I uh, talked to Jackson about it and, you know, obviously super supportive. Best partner I could ask for, as always. It's, it's my choice, really, of whether to heed this medical advice or, or not. And, um, you know, my feet are feeling a lot better today. And part of that is probably mental and... Um, Part of that is probably me just being a little bit naive about how bad it could get with a wet and cold environment on the AT. I feel like so much of this journey and attempt is risk analysis and making decisions about whether to uh, send it or whether to uh, save it for, for another day. And uh, this feels like a big one to me. Next time on Impossible Odds. A storm was brewing through the White Mountains. Um, specifically, uh, a storm was going to hit Mount Washington. Um, Mount Washington is the tallest mountain in the White Mountains, the tallest mountain in New Hampshire. And it has unbelievably bad weather. Um, people die there all the time. When there is a storm, um, Mount Washington is not the place that you want to be. podcast was written and hosted by Sammy Potter with contributions from Jackson Perel. Our producers are Louisa Albanese and me, Zoe Gates.
Bully Music is our composer and sound designer, and Tim Massa is our assistant story editor. If you enjoyed this episode of Impossible Odds, please subscribe and leave us a review.